Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun informal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. Earlier this year, I visited my university. I had not been back since I graduated. And before going, I contacted several people in my department. I actually found my old thesis advisor. He was still there. I contacted the innovation lab. They didn't even have an innovation lab back then, entrepreneurship and innovation. And they were so solicitous. And then the alumni association arranged a whole tour to take me to lunch. And I kind of felt guilty because I was just curious to see if someone could show me around. It changed a lot in 30 years. But I should have known that they were really looking at trying to find out what kind of legacy I would want to leave and to see if I had the resources. I think they assumed that I did have the resources to leave us some kind of substantial legacy in some way. I felt kind of guilty because that wasn't at all on my mind. Leaving a legacy to my university, Washington University in St. Louis. I mean, I it was great. It was a great school. They did right by me, but it wouldn't be like the first place that I would spend extra money trying to leave a legacy. It's not like how I hope to be remembered. I'm not from St. Louis. Came back and had a conversation with two people for whom leaving a legacy is kind of top of mind. Both these people have done very, very well, and their university had contacted them because their successes had been somewhat public. Their universities had contacted them to explore whether and how they wanted to leave a legacy relating to their university. And it was so interesting to, uh, to hear how these two people completely thought differently of the legacy that they wanted to leave. What was so interesting? What was the difference? One of them was very interested in leaving a substantial legacy that would be a naming legacy, maybe a building mm -hmm. or a field, but something where his name could be spoken and known and revered in some way attached to some building. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was like what his major was. I, I didn't know. The Schmigegeheimer math building. Room or building. Yeah. And I don't think he knew anything more at the time that I was talking to him that uh, about what he would want other than he knew it wanted to be a naming legacy. The other friend had no interest at all in a naming legacy. As a matter of fact, made it very clear that the naming legacy was not something that he was probably had a bad last name. But this person had been an athlete and wanted to do something for the athletes, the graduating athletes, something that would be meaningful to help launch these athletes into their professional life if they weren't going on to a professional sports career. So totally different legacies. But for both of them, leaving a legacy was a very important thing. And it had never crossed my mind at all with regard to my university, even if it had been an option that I could name a building. I wouldn't think of naming a building at my university. And that leads me to the curiosity bite. When will you ever care about how you are remembered when you're dead? When will you care? When will you care? Instead of 
if you will care. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> it's better than if you will care. When will I care? I think that I care while I'm alive. I mean, I don't actually really care, to tell you the truth. I think some people do, and I just don't. I don't care about leaving a legacy after I'm dead. I am concerned that on my deathbed, if I look back on my life, did I lead a fulfilling and enriching life? But is that leaving a legacy? I don't think so. Would you mean fulfilling and enriching for yourself or fulfilling and enriching as observed and and measured by others? <laughs> well, what I think about is that t one time when you were at two funerals, one funeral, they talked about the person that had passed as not doing much, just not that they didn't do like one nice things that they had a nice life, but it was mostly just staying in their own neighborhood and being a good mo mom or dad. I can't remember if it was male or female and just, you know, the basic stuff, which is fine. But the second active member of their church. Okay. <laughs> I remember. Oh, you now, do. You I remember. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, fine. And then the second funeral, which I think was, was that like the same weekend? Yeah. Yeah. So you went to a second funeral and that, at that funeral, they were talking about all these amazing things this person did. All these volunteer. Marched on Washington, active in civil rights, yeah. active in women's suffragette. You know, all sorts of things that were beyond her own small community and beyond being a good mom and a church going person. Yeah. yeah. So and for some reason that has really stuck with me. And I think about that and I think I really did make some changes in my life at that time. I started volunteering more. I started making sure that I enjoyed my men doing mentorship things because I wanted to look back on my life and think that I, I didn't want to be just the, a good mother that went to church, not that I would go to church. But yeah, I wanted to look back and see that I did something that was a little more meaningful. And But why am I doing it? Because I care what people think or my children when they look back on, on my life Will they speak of me highly? Maybe. But I think I just I just don't care. After I'm dead, I don't feel like it matters. What about you? I don't know that I have ever died. <laughs> but from what I understand, when I'm dead, I won't care at all how I'm remembered when I'm dead. Now, I could be wrong. But from what I remember, I don't think I'll care at all. Yeah, you I'm, don't remember, do you? Some people do, though. Now, the worms might tell me as they <laughs> burrow into my <laughs> decomposing body. But I don't think I'll really know or care. The time that I will care how I'm remembered when I'm dead is probably now. I don't know if that will get more intense, if I will care more or less as I get older. I don't know as I approach death if I will care. I only know, I mean, we've watched two people die mom and dad, yeah. we've had the maybe privilege of being with them. I think so. Until their dying breath. I think that's a privilege. Although it's hard with mom because she had a brain tumor, so it's hard to know when you're working with a faulty instrument. But I don't know that they cared. I would guess they both cared less about how they remember when they're dead as they approach death. I think so. I don't know if that's universal. I don't know if that's the way I will feel. Well, like grandpa, he wanted to have his name on the elevator. Oh, right, right. He wanted his name, his family name and his name on yeah. the elevator at the synagogue. Right. And then, you know, 20 years later, as they do the remodel, that name, that they plaque. forgot to put the plaque back up. And, you know, <laughs> does he care? 
I mean, I don't think he's haunting the place, so no. What role does uh, the fear of death play? In other words, if you weren't afraid, are you afraid to die? I, not exactly, but I am afraid of the unknown, and I'm I'm not, like, ready to die right now, because... I want to, there's still a few things I want to do. Just a couple. Just a, just just a, a few. Just a few. Uh, but eh, if I died, I, I, there's been times when I'm like, okay, if I die now, that's fine. I, I mean, I'm afraid to, I don't want to be in pain. Yeah, I don't want to be sick. I, I, I don't want to rot while I'm living. And I ideally would prefer people to not have to take care of me in a way that triggers their sense of disgust so that i would i'm kind of no. i i i'll take care of you you won't disgust me if I, you haven't disgusted me yet <laughs> <laughs> oh girl i've got lots of things in store lots of things if you didn't care at all how you would be remembered would you still fear or would you still fear death i mean it's hard because you don't fear death but, do, but okay let's well i don't fear about being remembered I mean, you were mm. saying, I, I, I honestly don't care. Do you think the people who do care about being re- remembered, clearly there are some people who oh, yeah. care a lot. What role does a fear of death play in that? It probably plays more than if you didn't care, I would think, because you would want to be able to have things and maybe you never feel like that's enough. So you want to have things that you can leave as a legacy because you care about that. So you probably fear death, the end, to make sure that, what lives on was good enough. I don't know. That's my stab in the dark. Well, dying can be one of the best career moves. For what careers is dying a good move? Well, I think like all those painters. So artists? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times they weren't famous until way after they were dead. Which careers? Painting? Musicians? Yeah, like a lot of the arts, like some of the actresses that died young. If Marilyn Monroe decayed into some old, typical old lady... I suppose the pinup posters of her, I mean, I mean, we still looked at those pinup posters of Farrah Fawcett, even though she was, you know, she got old. I mean, she didn't get really old. She looks old. pretty good, though. She's dead. Oh, uh, she, <laughs> she probably doesn't look as good now as she did. Yeah, I, I don't think she, like, <laughs> thought of herself in that nipped out poster as dying as, uh, of rectal cancer. But, you know, it happens, <laughs> you nipped know. Out. Poster. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, which one? Yeah, the red, bath- the red bathing suit. There are business titans who die at the height. Business is cyclical. If Steve Jobs had died before he came, after he'd been fired from Apple, when his next business was a disaster, before he came back to Apple, before his involvement in Pixar, before Pixar was bought by Disney, I'm not sure that people would talk about him in the way they talk about him now. Yeah, I'm not sure. So it could be timing success to die at the pinnacle of your successful career. Think about the really, oh my God, the really sexy, cute actor guy. That, James Dean. James Dean. If he had died after doing a bunch of, you know, mediocre flops and became old and whatever, I mean. I don't think he would have been famous at all. No, I mean, I don't think so. So I think it's timing. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of people that have left these amazing legacies. And then there are the people that have left legacies that I would not know if you put a gun to my head. Woodstock. You mean the concert, like the 1960 whatever concert? Yeah, Woodstock. That's a famous place because of the concert. But actually, Ralph Radcliffe Whitehead. Never heard of him. 
he built an artist colony in that town. It was actually called the Birdcliff Arts Colony, and that was on Woodstock, in Woodstock. In the town of Woodstock. And and that's kind of where it got that hippy-dippy, trippy. People would come there, they would live on that colony, on that artist colony, and they would build their, do their arts and crafts and their furniture and stuff like that. It closed down, but that still, that area was always known as a, more of an artist, hippie kind of place. And that's where I think it lent itself nicely to what became Woodstock. I've never heard of Guy. Yeah, see, so, you know, he left the legacy, but big whoop-dee-doo. Maybe his family can talk about it. When you really think about it, what happens when we're actually dead? Our heart stops, we stop breathing, our brain shuts down. It's kind of the divide. Those are the things that divide when we're alive and when we're dead. Yet philosophically, it's always hinged on the point of no return. But the point of no return has become longer and longer. In other mean? words, yeah. well, your heart can stop, your brain can, your breathing can stop, and they can still revive you now with drugs. Oh, right. And the... and, Claire! Yeah, and drugs increasingly. It's almost like a premature baby. And it used to be you couldn't be two months premature, yeah. you die. Now you could be like a two-month-old little nail, little toenail size, <laughs> and you they, they poke you up and bring you right on, right, right, on, right, on, right on through. Then you kind of wonder if there's this extension of consciousness. So there was a study with more than 2,000 people who came back from the dead. Guess what percentage of those 2,000 people who came back from the dead claimed to have complete awareness about the process? I would think a pretty high percentage. Take a guess. 60, wait, 67%. Isn't that what you, 68%. No, 40%. (laughs) And of course, 10% had deep, profound insights. Mm. And it's kind of like- Like Shirley MacLaine. Did she come back from the dead? Well, she- Oh, no, she just remembers her past life. Sorry, yeah, never mind. Different. Yeah, that is different. And when are we dead? There was a study out of NYU, the medical center, that researches death and is looking at whether our consciousness sticks around after we die. This is due to brainwaves firing in the cerebral cortex. Hmm. And these brainwaves fire for roughly 20 seconds after clinical death. You're clinically dead, but your, but brain, your brain is, is still, still functioning going. in ways that they never were able to measure without measuring instruments. So maybe we get more sophisticated measuring instruments and we, we will... find it even lasts longer than... Right. Well, oh. at Yale, they researched 32 dead pig brains and they came from a slaughterhouse and they hoped to create physiological resurrection of the dead brains. So they connected the brains to an artificial perfusion system, and it pumped a solution through the brains that mimic blood flow, that brought oxygen and nutrients to these inert tissues. Oh, my God. And it revitalized the brain and kept some of their cells, quote unquote, alive for as long as 36 hours postmortem. And the cells consumed a metabolized sugar. Oh, my God. And the immune systems, some of the immune, brain's immune systems even kicked back in. Some, they, was it still in their bodies? No, no, no. Was, these were inert brains. Oh, they were, it's even, just like the movie oh, Man with Two Brains. Well, I mean, they... Oh, my God. And they were even able to carry electrical signals. Oh, my God. What's the man with two brains? That's that Steve Martin where they he fell in love with that brain that was like in a in a jar and she's she would speak to they would sing skillmarinky dinky dink skillmarinky do i love you you know that's, i love <laughs> yeah, you they would sing that song for man with two brains the pigs brains continue to exist and function 
Another research project oh, out of Royal so- at the Royal Society looked at gene expression. So this is totally different in dead mice and in zebrafish because they wanted to see if ze- uh, gene expression diminished gradually or stopped altogether. So, you know, at this moment, dead, I'm going to declare it 137 on yeah. December 31st because they or if it's a gradual thing and over a thousand genes became more active after death whatever mitosis and my all that stuff too whatever however they measured Holy. the genes becoming active and i don't know by what measure yeah but in some cases the spiked expressions the gene expressions lasted for up to four days holy moly and you know you think about thermodynamics that energy powers all of life and it continues and energy that is exists never goes away then you start to think maybe in some way some not religious hoo-hoo way necessarily, <laughs> but in some way we could be aware or conscious of how we are considered after we're dead. Oh. You've worked with a lot with people near death. Yep. Do you think that the closer to death, the more, on average, I mean, everyone is different, but on average, the closer to death, the more people care or don't care about their legacy? or how they're perceived after they're dead? That's hard to answer because a lot of times you're so sick. When people have a lot of time to work out that they're dying, like mom had some time to work out. I wonder if she was, she never struck me as a person that worried about her legacy, but there are people that know they're dying and they, I think, are more concerned about that when they're closer to that. But the people that are sick, you can't get an answer an answer or anything. So it would be hard to guess I was thinking about this in light of all of the work done with psilocybin, the magic mushroom component, because the traditional way that we have taken care of people at the end of their life is pharmaceutical treatments, benzodiazepines, Ativan, Mm -hmm. and maybe some counseling. But a lot of those drugs take a long time to really kick in. And they can be addictive and have bad side effects. Not that we care about them being addictive if you're dying. Well... You could because it could impact, and this is, we don't care, but maybe we should. And I say that in light of this, the research done with psilocybin, because if it is addicting and for the next six months, all you're doing is craving and craving that versus coming to terms or going gently into the dark night, because there's clearly some massive benefit from people who have had directed psycho, psychotherapy directed with psilocybin with highly qualified guides and the results have demonstrated that their depression, I'm not talking about having a major depressive episode, but being depressed about dying, right. their anxiety, their fear of dying is profoundly reduced. Reduced, And it can last months and months. And it, it works in over 80% of the people who have been tested. So this wow. is a fundamental different way of looking at it. And my question would be, and I've looked, I actually looked to see if this existed and I didn't see anything. If not only is there a reduction of anxiety and depression around death, but is there more of a concern or less of a concern or no change in concern prior to and after psilocybin with regard to how they concern themselves with their legacy? Do they care less about their legacy, more about their legacy or no change? I'm thinking off the top of my head, but I would think that when you're dealing with pain or even depression and anxiety and all of those things, you would be more concerned about your legacy after the psilocybin as opposed to them before. Now, I would take the opposite. Okay, let's hear your opposite. Because when you hear about people taking psychedelics, 
psilocybin and LSD in particular, the insights that come with that are said to be profound in many ways, particularly those who have set and setting direction and they can help you along with whatever you're dealing with. I mean, some people just do it and they're like, whoa, that was really, but, <laughs> that was good. but it's not really, it's not really, we don't really know if it's insightful right? or if it just feels like insight. Right. You know, some people say, oh, people with schizophrenia are just, they're seeing the real thing. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah. you know, we, there's not really evidence of that. I mean, it feels nice to feel if you are one of the people who have had those positive experiences, it feels really good to feel like you have insight into things that other people don't. But it could just be your neurochemistry showing you fantastical things that are yeah. no closer to reality than like any of dream. what we see. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think that animals, other animals care how they're perceived after they're dead? Well, I would guess that they would. Some of them would and some of them wouldn't. Which I ones mean, we're would? animals, so why should they be any different? Which, which ones do, you think? That care about their legacy? Mm-hmm. Lions. Do you think so? Because know. they have, they're so proud. They have pride. Right. It's pride. And I a mean, praying mantis. Because they're so cute. Yes. Now, there's plenty of evidence that animals mourn their dead. So their survivors care about, I mean, we see it all the time. Mm -hmm. And there are examples of animals killing themselves lemmings marching toward cliffs and throwing themselves off and mass death of whales stranded stranding themselves oh yeah and there are even subtle cases of self-destructive behavior that can be more easily explained like mother spiders letting their young eat them they die in the process but they the sacrifice is not suicide but rather an extreme act of parental care the mother spiders provide their own bodies as vital nutrition Delicious. That is, that is, the black, black widow is sitting in the middle and the web is the flash. You see, small ball. But that, that's a nice of the mommy spider to let her children eat her if they, if like just regularly or or if they just don't have other nutrients no, around. No, I think that's what they do. Yeah. And, you know, you think about, I. this is to me super interesting, but toxoplasmosis, that that, <laughs> that bacteria that cats get that's supposed to be really dangerous, like you can get it if you don't if you're not careful cleaning litter boxes and oh. stuff like that. Well, toxoplasmosis in rats and mice turns off their innate fear of cats. And it's carried, this bacteria is carried in mice and rats when it is this turns off this innate fear and makes the mice and rats go toward the cats. And it's only in cats that this bacteria can reproduce. This is why I say we're bacteria's bitches. Yeah. Not only that, this fear of death, even when the bacteria is then removed from the mice in labs. They still have it. They, they have permanently erased their fear of cats. The same group of mice that are fearful of cats innately, infected with this bacteria, lose that fear, go to the cats where the bacteria reproduces. And even when the bacteria is gone from those mice, that they fear still, is gone from so they're like it destroyed it destroyed that part of their brain yeah or or changed their genes yeah all this of is it, fascinating it, that's why I say we're bacteria is bitches and there's a lot of examples but my question I guess this still goes back to the whole situation of legacy and why we care so much or we say we don't 
but we don't behave as if we don't. Right. I mean, some clearly care way more than other people. I think you probably on the spectrum of caring what people think about you, say about you after you're dead is low. Yeah, because I don't really care about what people say about me when I don't talk to them anymore. <laughs> you don't care a lot. No. I would say that I care. You are completely unaware. You don't even care. <laughs> I mean, it's not that I don't care. Listen, if I... Ins- you would care if you noticed it. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of things to think about that right. I like to think about. And one of my favorite things to think about is not what other people think about me. Right. But it's not like, oh my God, I don't care what... I- no, I mean, I, you know, no, no, I, I, no. Listen, I mean, if I insult someone and I died, I wouldn't want them to, after I'm dead, to say that I was rude Why? and insensitive. Why? What difference does it make? Because to the extent that my energy and my genes and my cells are going to continue to fire. And if there is some consciousness associated with that, I don't know. And they can wait a week and then they can talk. Yeah. When it. all of that activity, what was it? Four days yeah. after the four days where my genes stopped re- reproducing. Give it a couple of days. Just, you but know, what if my inner. consciousness goes with my energy and there is an awareness and it bums me out? Well, first of all, I don't think it would bum you out. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> It wouldn't. I mean, it wouldn't. You'd I be would, like, whatever. Okay, let's think about something else. You know what I would do? I would think to myself, is there anything I can do about it? And if there was, I would do something. But if there wasn't, I would not worry. Exactly. And that's what I try. That's kind of how I try to do everything. Like, if I can worry, if worrying about it means that I can do something about it, I will worry and do something about it. And then when it's done, I won't worry. Right. But if worrying about it means I can't do anything about it, then I really. Brush it away. I really try not to worry. Yeah. Do you want to learn how to be able to leave a legacy? Yeah, 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 yeah. Is this your list? This is my list. Okay. And whether or not you want to leave a legacy, I'm going to teach you how to leave a legacy. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take notes. Ready? Take notes. Write that down. Okay. Number one, live your legacy. All right, so live in a way that people talk about you. People are watching. So when you, if you walk the walk and talk the talk, then that will continue on after you're gone. All right, do you, what do you do to live your legacy? Like, for example, if I was to look at the way you live and pick three things that you do. Oh my God, this makes me nervous. What are you going to say? I'm asking. Oh, I thought you were going to you were going to pick the things. I was thinking like grandma. Grandma always wears lipstick. So that is the legacy that she is going to leave is that whenever we think of grandma, she always has her lipstick on. 102. And still putting her lipstick on every morning. Yeah. So that's a legacy because mm-hmm. she lived that legacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, that's a simple. That's nice. But what about you? I didn't ask about grandma. <laughs> I tried to change it. I would think one of the things that I probably would be known for is being a, enjoying being a mentor. I like that. You know, I like helping the kids. I've taken on the Miss America girl and I've taken on the debate kids. And, and that's funny. That's not how I would think of you. No, I know. Th- but I'll tell you. You how- know me a little bit better. No, than I, no. But I would take I would think of different things. I would think specifically for every situation, you always have a song. That's true. And that's funny and fun. You will sacrifice humility and whatever <laughs> to get a laugh. That, that is so you I think that you probably are the only one that sees me that way. No. Yeah, because you bring it out in me. 
I'm not that way, I think, with others. Okay, and then there's one other thing. <laughs> one other thing is that you are an elder whisperer. Yeah. And that, I mean, you know, mentor helping kids. That, well, and, th- and that kind of goes along with it because mm. I enjoyed, I got the same feeling working with them. And it wasn't necessarily mentoring because they probably were more mentoring me. What would you pick for me? One, just one. Well, because I want to get to your list. Cur- being able to be curious. I mean, absolutely. Everything is questioning. Everything is not believing from the beginning. Second guessing. <laughs> so skepticism or curiosity? Both. <laughs> All right, what's next? How, and on- your funky clothes. Oh, funky clothes. Funky clothes. All right. Yeah, yeah. Definitely your fashion sense. Okay, well, this is kind of along the same lines, but tell people what you stand for. So not only do you live it, but you advertise it. Thank God for social media. Yeah. I think at this point, it's all we do. I'm all about this, and I'm all about that, and I'm all about all abouting. Whenever I do something on social media now, I think about the impact of it. For me, I I think, oh, is this going to help my business or is this going to help something? When the memories come back on Facebook, for example, it is. But I realize I was thinking of Facebook so differently in the very beginning that I think about it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of them came up that you know, I went to the grocery store and they asked me if I was eligible for the senior citizens discount. Note to self, never go to, to the grocery store without makeup. Ha 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 ha. Like now if I read someone posting that on Facebook, I'd be, be like, like, that is so 2009. Delete friend. No, I wouldn't. But I just think, oh, bless your heart. You're new to Facebook. I mean, you know, now it's totally different. Yeah. And it's, you know, evolved. I don't know that I think about it in terms of a legacy, but I probably, uh, I mean, you would. I think it's because we're old. We don't think of it as a legacy. I bet. We're not old for Facebook. We're right in the sweet spot. Young people, we are. Well, Facebook is old, but like, I think for young people, social media will have an effect on, they will think of it as an effect on their legacy. All right. So telling people what they're all about. Yeah. I stand for praying mantises. Well, yeah. Because they're cute. So cute. Number three, keep a journal. Have you ever kept a journal? Okay, I kept a journal the one time that when I went to Israel when I was 15 and 16. When we were moving, Joanna found the journal sitting there. And she was just, we were just, I was packing and she was just overshooting the breeze. And she was, oh my God, this is hilarious. I go, what is it? I had forgotten. Mm -hmm. And she submitted it to Mortified. Remember? And uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's I how totally I did remember. Mortified. Yes. That reading- and you got up there and you read your journal in front of everybody. But what? How many people? A couple hundred people. Yeah. And people were just laughing. Just word for word, right? Well, truthfully, they curated a little bit because, oh. I mean, there's some people who kept, I mean, this was a skinny journal, but they curated it a little bit because it would have been too long for the thing. But it was like, what is it, 10 minutes? Like- I would be so embarrassed. I did keep a journal also when I went to Israel. Jemmy got me a little journal and I kept it. For- Do you have it? I probably have it somewhere. If you find it, we should have you do more. Oh, it's so embarrassing. That's the point. So embarrassing. All right. All right. right. Remind me. Absolutely. We got to find your journal. Another thing to do is to share your family stories. When you think of our family stories, what do you think of? Like Like, a mom and dad story or. Yeah. I guess I think about how they met. And they were on that double date and dad was with one girl and mom was with another guy, a different guy. And that dad was making her laugh the whole time and she liked dad better than her date. So then they went on a date later. The family stories that mom and dad tell have one thing in common. Humor. Humor. The legacy dad left and the legacy mom left being yeah. voted most witty in high school <laughs> yeah. was they were hilarious. Yeah. And the stories reflect that. 
I'm not sure what stories my kids would tell that I told. If you died today, what story about you would your kid re- kids remember Well, most? I think probably right off the bat, they'd probably say something about Sonny and I being in the music business. Oh, all right. Yeah. Right. I could see that. Because a- they ask us all the time about what was it like being on tour and what were they like and stuff like that. Who knows? That you makes think- total sense. I am stumped. I have no idea. I do not think that I tell a reoccurring story or theme to my kids. I really don't. Like, I see yours as being that because you both met there. It's exciting. It's kind of cool. It was a time. It could be like some trips, you know, stories of some of the trips you've been on and some of the crazy antics that you guys have gotten into. I mean, I think about, and I miss it so much, our summer Thelma and Louise with kids trips. Mm. I loved those trips too. Antelope, Oregon, and staying in the haunted hotel. Yeah, I okay. I think, and and from that, little funny anecdotes emerged. So I think those are the kinds of stories that Barkley and Dane will tell. Mm, that could be. Mm-hmm. How about making a strategic donation while you're alive? All right, like we talked about mm-hmm. in the beginning. That's good. If I was to make a strategic donation while I'm alive so that I would be remembered. Yeah, where were you? What would you do? Right now, since I just became an ambassador for Shelterbox. Yes. That organization that brings shelter to the most vulnerable people in the world. I'm going to put it in the temporary show. Temporary co- sh- shelters, right? Temporary shelter. Yeah. Providing hope for people for whom no hope would otherwise exist, and particularly and usually, but not exclusively, women and children, I would probably try to do something with Shelterbox. But that's a relatively new thing. Yeah. And I don't know that I would care. I mean, while I'm alive, it would be really cool if I had millions and millions of dollars and could make a donation to Shelterbox in a way that it was tied to me versus making it anonymously. If I had a choice between making it anonymous anonymous gift like that and making it not anonymous, I would probably wish that I would choose anonymity, (laughs) but I probably would not. Write your own eulogy. All right. Would you write your own eulogy? I would have you write it for me while we were alive, probably over cocktails, because that would be so funny. Let's do it. I think that would be so much All right, fun. What we're going to do is we are going to, you're going to write your eulogy. I'm going to. No, you, I don't want to write it. No, you have you're going to write my eulogy. There you go. And I'm going to write yours. Okay. Just the two of us together. We're yes. going to get some drinks and then we're going to read them on the podcast. Oh my God, awesome. Let's, let's do it. Okay. I can tell you I want in my eulogy- Three things. Up to three, zero things or three things. Okay. I can make it totally up to you. Okay. Or I could give you some, and same. I think I'd rather just see what you I say. I don't know, I have to think about it. That's yeah. what I said. Okay, so we're gonna do that and then we'll read it on the podcast. Love it. Okay. Love per- it. All right, perfect. And finally, publicly earmark your money. So you don't make the donation when you die. It's made after you're dead. Yeah, like uh, a legacy gift. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah a yeah. legacy gift. And I know you've done that yeah. for some things. I know dad had done it for a couple of things. You don't really get the benefit of it. However- Oh, I totally get the benefit of it. The good organizations- They thank you all the acknowledge time. Acknowledge the people who have put their organization in their will or mm-hmm. in their Oh, I get trust. I get. I, I, they are constantly thanking me for, I mean, it's not even that big of a donation, but it's great. And it makes you happy that you did it. Yeah. But 
once you did it, if they never had thanked you, it's not like you would pull it. No, (laughs) I didn't expect them to thank me as much as they do. If someone could give you the money to earmark a chunk of money for an organization. I knew you were going to ask After your death, what would you choose? What organization would you choose? There's so many different things, but I... Okay, then I'm going to pick one and put it in your eulogy and you can't change uh, it. it would ha- I think it would have to do- deal with either the arts or with Alzheimer's. Okay, the arts is like, that's not a thing. Well, I'm just saying in some, in s- those two different categories, something with the performing arts. Performing arts, okay. Yeah, performing little... arts. And not necessarily with children, maybe something to open it up for middle-aged women. <laughs> Or, or something to do with dementia. Research or care? Probably care. All right, that's fine. Are you ready for the sort of fact? I'm ready! All right. This study came out of Kurzbekistan, U. So KU. <laughs> Kurzbekistan. And, okay, why are you laughing? What's wrong with KU? Nothing. I did not get accepted to KU, so I'm a little bitter. And had you applied, <laughs> that might have been different. Studies found that 93%, I mean 87%, (laughs) no, this time it was 93%, 93% of people who died and came back to life wanted to make a donation that people were aware of before they died. Thanks for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's Curiosity Bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity-bitten conversations, subscribe to Apply Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Apply Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to applycuriositylab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.